for sharing that you wanted me to talk about Coracle. I actually didn't want to talk about Coracle. Um, and so I'm not going to very much. Um, and no, Tim, I'm not... Uh, thank you. And no, Tim, I'm not going to talk about what Coracle means because you did a great job of it. What I'm going to do, though, is I do want to send around some information about our nonprofit, Coracle. Um, and, um, but actually, I want to invite you to my house. And this is not what I expected to do. Um, so part of what we do is we have a little retreat center out in the Shenandoah Valley, and it is, it is designed particularly for folks who find themselves on the front lines of the brokenness of the world to pull away from those front lines and encounter God. Do you feel like you are working on the front lines of the brokenness of the world? Do you need to pull away to be with your father in order to give you strength so you can come back and engage your vocation with, with God's power as opposed to your own? Do you need that? I would like to invite you to my house of Corhaven. So I wasn't going to pass these out, but I'm going to. This is your personal invitation um, to, to come on retreat, to come on retreat. Um, yeah. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, and it's a privilege um, to be amongst old friends, as you've heard, to, to know that I was going to see some folks here who are very familiar to me today, and also to be surprised by people I didn't expect to see, but then also to see you uh, meeting for the first time. It's just a great gift, and um, my, my heart towards you today, uh, I do not want you to do what I want you to do, right? I, like, I'm not a speaker who's going to come to Capitol Hill, advocate for my position, and then hope that somehow a little seed gets planted so that you end up doing my agenda. That's not my posture. My posture here is like, um, it's 100% pastoral. Like, I just... I want to care for you. I want you to be cared for. I want to call all of us to our deepest vocations as believers and, and particularly here for you in this particular vocation that God's given you. So, um, so some rhetorical questions. Um, no need to raise your hands unless you want to raise them in your heart <laughs> or not. Um, how many of you came to work today excited because you knew that this was going to be a great day at the office to be like Jesus. Remember, this is rhetorical. You can just raise them in your heart or not, right? How many of you came to work today um, convinced and excited that, that your time here today was going to actually help you become like Jesus and actually be your school of spiritual formation? Right? How many of you came to work today with the dominant thought, excellent, Today, I get to learn how to love. <laughs> I kind of feel like Bueller, Bueller, you know. Um, or you came to work today with that feeling of so good, so good. Today is the day that I get to bear the image of God. And I get to put him on display through my words, through my actions, through my thoughts, even through my work. Or maybe you came today to work... Um, with the thought, today I am the presence of Christ on Capitol Hill. Today I am a priest of God in this place. How many of you came to work with those thoughts today? Like I said, it's a, it's a, real, ple it's a real pleasure for me to be with you, uh, simply to encourage you in your vocation, as, and again, that pastoral heart, to encourage you in your vocation, to encourage you in your faith uh, and discipleship, to encourage you in your spiritual formation. Um, and I want to leave you today with one word that, one word for your year 
that will sum up this whole talk. The, you know, three points, one word, whatever's easiest. We're going to even go with the lowest bar possible. I hope to leave you with one, one word that can hopefully sum up your, your year. So as I've gotten older, um, those gray hairs that Lauren mentioned, uh, I've come to find a new almost fail-proof source for simple truths. And also, I've come to learn about the profound and reliable source for the deepest truths. Um, so having raised and still raising four kids, the source for these simple truths that I mentioned is their books with their refresh refreshingly blunt titles, right? Let's be helpful. <laughs> yeah? Or I'm thankful for each day. Or daddy loves me. Um, and then there is the eternally relevant hands are not for hitting. <laughs> you know that one? These are good, man. These are, these are good, solid, simple truths. And that's a, that's, a, that's a great source for them. But the reliable source for the deepest truths um, are the insights for two types of people. One type of person is those who have sacrificed many worldly perks, um, like material gain or status or sex, and exchange those things for eternal things. Right? So I'm thinking about people like John Stott or Mother Teresa, folks who have like actually given up a lot in view of what's coming. Right? Those sorts of people, I found, are a pretty reliable source for, for the deepest truths. And then also, the second type of people like that are those who have suffered. Um, like, if I want the deep stuff, I'm going to read the insights of someone who's actually suffered. So one such man who both sacrificed much and also suffered much was Francis Van Tuan. Francis is a bishop. He was a bishop in Vietnam in the 1970s and the 1980s. In 1975, he was chosen as Archbishop of Saigon, but almost immediately upon his appointment, he was arrested by the new government, and he spent almost the next nine years in solitary confinement. Um, and then he spent another six years after that in prison and under arrest. But even from his cell in solitary confinement, his the desire to pastor his flock, the people of Saigon, the desire to pastor his flock still burned. And so he would find scraps of paper. He would write short messages to these people um, on these scraps of paper, sometimes torn from an old calendar, an old book, or something like that. Then they were smuggled out, and then they were copied out by hand, and then they were passed around the city to the faithful. And eventually these scraps of paper were compiled into one volume called The Road of Hope a gospel from prison. And on one of the scraps of paper that he wrote there in solitary confinement and got smuggled out, he says this. He says, saints do not do anything extraordinary. Saints simply carry out their ordinary activities. The worker will become a saint in the workplace. The soldier will become a saint in the army. The patient will become a saint in a hospital. The student will become a saint through studies. The priest will become a saint through his ministry as a priest. And a public servant will become a saint in the government office. Hmm. Two surprises here. One, I love that priests and public servants and other vocations are listed in the same sentence and all called to be saints. 
Brothers and sisters, no vocation matters more than another. Each vocation matters in the eyes of God and is integral to his work in the world. So, you know, 500 years ago, Martin Luther, right, it's the anniversary, and he was the one who um, very famously helped pull down this wall dividing the so-called sacred work and secular work. Um, And he wrote, priests and bishops are supposed to employ God's word in his sacraments. That's their work in office, right? Each shoemaker and smith and farmer and I would say hill staffer and the like has his own or her own office and trade. And they are nevertheless all equally consecrated priests and bishop. And each with his office, right, the long list of vocations or work is to provide aid and service to others. So 500 years later, we are living in an era of the church that is, albeit slowly, recovering the central Christian teaching of the priesthood of all believers. That is that we're all called to be priests. And one of my favorite favorite phrases that I offer from the false church pulpit pretty regularly, in fact, I look for excuses to do this, is to talk about somebody who's not an ordained priest in the church and call them a priest in the public square. Y'all at the Falls Church have heard me do this on a number of occasions, right? I do shout-outs to y'all priests in the public square because that's, in fact, what, we, what you are, what we are. So that's one surprise in Van Tuan's insight. Second surprise is he says the place for a public servant to become a saint is in the government office. In other words, it's not a distraction from your sanctification. It's actually the place of it. Now, we usually think of, oh, I'd say, two sort of primary places or vehicles of our own spiritual formation, our own becoming more and more like Christ. We think about whatever sort of daily devotional time I have with God, but that's really important for my spiritual formation. And we think of going to church, right? Um, that's not wrong, necessarily. However, it only misses, like, the two most important places are actual spiritual formation. One is our family in whatever form that comes to us, right? And the other is our office, our place of work, our workplace as a school of spiritual formation. And my goodness, it better be a place of my spiritual formation because, Tim, you already made the point, that's where we spend most of the time of our adult lives is actually working. And if that isn't the place where we are being formed into the image of Christ, then that's a problem, isn't it? But most people don't think of it this way. Most people think of our office as a distraction from my sanctity, as opposed to the place where I get to live it out and the place that actually helps make it happen. How can the workplace be a place where we are trained slash formed to become more like Jesus? In fact, even be the presence of Jesus, which is the goal of our salvation in the first place. So let's put a finer point on it since we are where we are, how can the hill be like that? How can the hill be our school of spiritual formation? That's the question that we want to explore. So to get there, I want to talk about the three great vocations of every human being. The three great vocations of every human being, and especially Christians. The first one, first vocation of the human being is to bear the image of God. Our nature as a human being male and female, our nature is to bear the image of God in the world, walking icons of God himself. That's why we're here. That's why we were made, 
to reveal God, to experience God, to be in relationship and communion with God, and to do God's work in the world. His hands and feet for his purposes. And this is what the Bible teaches us in Genesis 1, that when God said, let us make humankind in our image. And so God made people. Um, And then he sets them in the world in order to take care of the world, to shepherd it and to steward it, and to turn it into a place that is going to lead to the shalom and the flourishing of all things and all people. That was our fundamental calling. Image bearers of God put in God's world in order to make God's world into a place that was going to be about the shalom and the flourishing of all things and all people. Man falls, sin, brokenness, death enters in, and so to now our original calling as human beings to create with God and steward God's creation, now comes the calling to also redeem with God, right? Because the world is broken. Hmm? God sends Jesus Christ, the hinge of history, to begin this process of the redemption of all things, to begin the process of reestablishing our original vocation as human beings, which was to be like God and take care of what God made Steward it so that all things could experience God's wholeness, God's shalom. So Jesus does all this, and he does it so that we can get back to our original design. To be like God, to display God, even share in God's work with God himself. And friends, that's what our work is properly understood. Our work properly understood is this. It is the way that God continues to do God's work in the world. Specifically to Capitol Hill, then, in various forms of this, what's one of the ways that God provides for justice in the world? Through the making of just laws, right? And the rule of law. Fundamentally, that's what Capitol Hill is all about. Ostensibly, it is an agent of justice, right? At least that's the goal, right? What's one of the ways that God provides compassion to the world? By calling governments to care for its most vulnerable citizens, right? We could go through a long list of jobs and connect the dots between how they are integral to what God wants done in the world today. But that exercise is for another day. Just so happens that that day uh, is Saturday, September the 16th. So this is so fun. So one of the things that Coracle does, we do a lot of things. But one of the things we do is we offer group retreats on, on themes and topics that we feel like um, merit, the, merit the attention not only of a, of a day, but particularly a day spent with God. And so on September 16th, we're doing a retreat on vocation, um, your work, God's work, why your work matters to God. Now, what's fun about this is it ain't in a church. It ain't out in the Shenandoah Valley at Corhaven. No, we're going to do this retreat on vocation on the top floor of Baker McKenzie Law Firm, overlooking the White House and the mall. Um, and we're going to talk about vocation in the place where a lot of it actually happens, but it's not in a church. Does that make sense? So if you want to come and hear a much fuller treatment of this topic of vocation and how it fits together with the kingdom of God, really invite you to uh, September the 16th, next Saturday. Um, yeah, I don't know how to get your interest in that, but I'm sure there's a way. There is our website. So, but anyway, there's much more to say about that, where we can apply that much more broadly. But like I said, our work properly understood is the way that God continues to do his work in the world. And this is just thrilling. Right? It dazzles and it shines and it casts such a different light on what we do Monday through Friday.
it makes our job and your job uh, so much more so much more than simply the way that I pay my bills in a way that's either very satisfying or in a way that is least onerous. Um, you know, and I want each of us here to have ringing in our ears my work in whatever form matters to God because it's one of the ways that I'm like him and it's one of the ways that he does his work. We are image bearers. Fundamental human vocation. God forgives, we forgive. God is merciful, we are merciful. God is just, so we are called to justice. God is holy, we're called to holiness. God works, we work. God is love, so we love. This is our first vocation to be image bearers of God, to be like God with skin on. Second vocation is to be the presence of Jesus in the world. Um, the progression of spiritual development, you know, there's a number of ways to slice this, and some have their strengths, and some are better than others, but just, just to cut to a chase and give you a simple one, here is, here is three stages of spiritual development that I would offer to you, okay? Three key stages. So right at our conversion, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, starts doing stuff. When we say yes to Jesus, Jesus starts doing stuff to us by his Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to heal us, to change us, to transform us, to enable us to grow, um, to become more and more like Jesus himself, and then for Jesus himself to move through us. So this development is started, and it 